right. Uh, welcome to Into the Hobbyverse, a podcast dedicated to Marvel Crisis Protocol and the aspects of the hobby surrounding it. Our focus here is to discuss our experiences with, you know, hobbying within the game and to hopefully help give advice to the listeners to improve to where they want to be on their painting journey. Uh, I am Waxy Sandwich and I am joined, as always, by Boreyardis. How's it going, buddy? Pretty good, man. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, we, we missed last week uh, because of our normal recording time was the day after New Year's and... I will say that I was tired from the uh, New Year's <laughs> Eve, but um, d- didn't feel like I would give a great episode. So we we missed last week, or you know, I, guess, I guess last Wednesday, but we will be you know, on our normal Wednesday schedule from here on out. But that just means we have a lot to, to talk about in our painting catch-up. Yes, we do. Uh, so do you want to dive right into that, or, or how are you doing, bud? Sure. Yeah, no, I'm doing all right. I didn't have, you know, it's funny you talk about New Year's. I was, uh, and fireworks started going off. I was like, what, what on earth? And I was like, oh, is it, is it midnight already? And I was like, oh, wow, it's New Year's, I guess. Um, and I, I think that's just a thing of as I get older, I, it, I don't know. That's one of those, it's one of those things I care far less about as I get older than when I was younger. When I was younger, I made a big deal out of New Year's, and now I'm just kind of like, eh, whatever. But I st- um, still stayed up till midnight, though. That is that is admirable. Yeah, for yeah, especially for my age, I guess I guess I should be proud of that. But um, I th- I was probably caught up painting something. Like I don't I don't remember what I was even doing at the time. But uh, uh, yeah, painting wise, so I, I finished the prime up, uh, and the prime. I'm glad I was done with him because I he was holding up my blog because I. I never wrote up my blog for my my regular Sentinel, the Mark IV, specifically because I uh, I wanted to have that insight from working on the Prime because I I knew that giving another go on kind of the same paint techniques, the same type of model, uh, because there's obviously a lot of similarities between the two, would help me give better insight on the paint process and what I learned and things like that. So after finishing him, I was finally able to go through and write the blog, and I got that put up the other day. Um, and then I moved on, and I, I was really hoping to be able to knock out uh, all four of the new releases. So, you know, Logan, Sabretooth, Pyro, and Blob. I was really hoping to be able to knock those out, uh, actually, before the new year hit, and just real life prevented that didn't happen so um i was able to finish my version of logan though uh and then here shortly uh shortly after the new year i was able to to finish up blob and uh interestingly i decided that it would be a good opportunity to practice the verdaggio paint technique uh which we talked about i think in a previous episode uh, and I didn't actually know this. Like you had mentioned, people using it in portraits and like oil paintings. I didn't realize the Verdaccio technique actually is like ancient. Apparently, this is like old Renaissance painters and whoever else have been doing this for a long, long, long time. I thought this was like more of a a, a more recent understanding of color theory that artists that are more modern were doing, but apparently that's completely backwards and that people have been doing this for a long, long time. And it doesn't normally get applied to miniature painting. It's normally like a, a portrait on canvas type of technique. Um, but do, can you, uh, you could probably give a better quick and dirty of what a Verdaggio is than I. 
Yeah, so I mentioned it before, but I'll, I'll, I'll mention it again. So I, I came across this on a Roman Laplot video, which I'll, I'll repost in the um, the host channel, uh, or the, the show notes, rather, sorry. Um, and and he, he what, what put it on my radar for miniatures is Roman Laplot did a, um, like, you know, he called it speed painting, but he spent, like, 25 minutes, I think it was, painting a bust. And he started out with a, a very green, like, uh, like, like puke green layer. And, you know, I, I was kind of looking into that and I discovered that, you know, that's the Verdaccio technique. Uh, like, like you, I, I wasn't quite sure what it was and, and did some research. It's, it's you know, it, it is an old technique. And I think a lot of it is because they had very, you know, simple pigments that they were working with. Mm. So this helped give like a lot of the interest that, that we use today. But it was interesting to see Roman apply it to, miniature painting and and he did a you know a really excellent job with it and and doing some research it was something you know to try out so effectively the technique is that you start with um like a, a green uh i guess how would you call that olive type tone and then you you highlight up to yellow and then you know you put some color interest like like you did what i didn't do where, where you did a better job of, of you know adding some red to the cheeks and adding some blue to the um the chin and the idea behind this is that when you then put on your flesh colors onto your underpainted you know green shapes is because the flesh colors like mid-tone flesh colors tend to be orange to yellow um, those type of pigments have a lot of transparency so when you apply it over this olive green you know base layer that you've created uh, you get a very interesting looking flesh tone that that has a lot more interest than if you just started with what I normally do, which is start with, you know, a, a purple or a, a red wine to like show the blood vessels coming through. Like you get a lot more realistic looking skin tones. So I, I did this on my, my Baron Strucker, but I'll, I'll hand it back over to you to talk through because you did that on your Wolverine and the blob. And I think it came out, you know, really nicely looking. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty impressed with it. Uh, with the Wolverine one, especially, like I think the face uh, came out really well. I mean, the you know it, his hands and his kind of neck, chest, upper chest area, I think also look decent. But uh, the thing I was particularly impressed by was uh, how quickly, like the blue on the chin turned into like flesh with stubble on it, and how. Uh, how much brighter it made things like the nose, cheekbones, and ears because of having that red. Uh, it it instantly makes the pop, the the face kind of pop. It makes it have more of like a uh, more of a draw to it. And I saw this both with the Wolverine and with the saber tooth. Um, I think uh, I, I think it came out pretty well. I'm kind of tempted to to do this for faces going forward, but I think I've already learned that that might not be worth it in some cases. Like I started, I'm doing that on all the new releases and I already have done that on my pyro. And I think he's a perfect example of where you're just doubling the amount of work and you're not getting much out of it because it's such a small component of the model. So I don't, I don't think this is something you want to do all the time, but the big one I wanted to test this out on was the blob because he's got a ton of flesh area, right? And yeah. uh, the doing the green part of it felt like it took forever. Uh, and then doing the flesh part of it felt like it took double forever. Uh, because, uh, especially with, you know, I was using thinned coats because I didn't want to just over-opaque 
you know, uh, make it flesh. And, and then having to play with the transitions and all of that, it took a really long time. But that being said, um, the, the reaction from the community to it has been really, really positive. Like, people are pretty impressed by it. And and I, I have to say, it is it is easily the most kind of nuanced and complex flesh tone I've ever done. So I think, uh, I, I definitely think there's merit to it as as a paint technique practice i i think it's there's definitely times where you're going to want to do it because it can look really cool uh but and and i don't know how much of this is an issue with the paint technique and how long it takes to do it versus how much of it was blob as a model because yeah. i know your experience was similar in that painting blob was like oh my god this is taking forever <laughs> yeah i i i have to imagine that a lot of that is blob and, and just like the the strange volumes he has and you know for me uh not to not to deviate too much i mean i also painted blob this month and, and a lot of the issue was like how defined do you make his like muscle or quote-unquote muscle areas like um there's not a ton on the model and i i always get bothered if like you really like add in stark lines on him or or on something that's you know a lot softer but still adding you know definition to the muscle so that that's what took me a long time and i i imagine with you know having to do the thin glazes that that, that took uh that also took a, a fair bit yeah uh, I, I, I think i wanted to oh sorry uh, I, I wanted to just ask you a couple questions about the sure. you know your experience with the technique because when i used it with strucker like a little bit of the why is, is i thought it'd be interesting like usually when i paint flesh shows i i end up with something that's, that's very warm and interesting like i i will have um you know i i will i will start with like a purplish red like a wine color and then go from there so that the at the end of the day it ends up looking very um you know very lively and fleshy my my idea for using was strucker at the time was because you know he he's a villain and i wanted to look a little bit you know less lively i thought that using this technique would be um would be effective and and I didn't do intentionally I didn't do the components that you did where you know you paint more uh like red on the cheeks and then blue on the the chin to like add the liveliness to the model instead mm -hmm. I, I just left it all in the green to kind of really desaturate it down um but with your blob it, but but what so I, I'm just kind of like rehashing what I did I, I I did all that and then I'm I'm really worried at the end of the day I just applied like a pretty opaque layer at the end of it and I didn't trust the process enough to mm. to really maximize the technique whereas you know I was I was asking you in our discord um like how do you feel like uh, you know you're saying that you applied thin layers like did you get nervous particularly on Wolverine where was your first one like like, oh man, I really need to apply like an over opaque layer. Did did you trust it more than I did, or or kind of what was your experience with with that? Yeah, I, I think with Wolverine, I might have uh, I, I I might have trusted the process a little less and might have gone on a little thicker than maybe was necessary. Um, I, I I'm not a hundred percent on that though. Like like I did notice that like right away, um, the stubble area looked like stubble, right? Even though I was only using flesh tones over top of the blue undercoating. And so I, that leads me to believe that uh, even if you are going a little more opaque than you should, uh, as long as it's not like super thick, 
you're probably still going to get that kind of the natural transparency of that paint is still going to help you there. That's what that led me to believe anyway. Yeah. Um, I, and that might be incorrect. I, I'm not sure. But no, it, I, it, I think it's right. Yeah, because, you know, like I said, the, the yellows and oranges are, are inherently transparent, even if you apply an opaque layer. Yeah, and that's, that's what it felt like. Like when I was doing blob, even though I was trying to keep it thin, um, I was noticing I would, you know, put on some layers and um, I would look at especially where the the kind of darker areas of the green were. And I'd be like, that's too, uh, it's still, I can still see too much like green there. And so I would go back over it with a thin layer after that was dry. And and with blob, I had to do a lot of, of futzing with uh, the thin layers and stuff like that, because that one I really wanted to make sure I wasn't over opaquing it. Um, but I also... Uh, just saw so much of the green coming through in the beginning that uh, I was just doing lots of layers over it. So, um, it, I, I will say that I think I probably trusted the process less with Wolverine, but I think my experience with Wolverine and seeing like how quickly the, because to give you an example, the chest area and the face area all got painted on Wolverine at roughly the same time. And yet, the kind of cheekbones and the nose stand out more than the chest area does, right? And even though that was before I bothered putting any, you know, brighter flushes on those areas. And so that to me, I think kind of gave me that confidence of like, okay, I think I, think I don't have to go heavy, um, especially because we had that conversation before I started painting Blob. I was like, okay, I, I'm probably okay to go as as I am going um, but just to be safe I was like let me make sure I keep it keep it thinner when I go on blob and so uh, yeah so with with blob the experience was you know I really went thin and um, the only thing I think that really did is just to make the process take longer um, I probably could have gone away with going thicker on it but I had a similar experience you did where uh, the definition on like his arms and legs is that weird spot where you're like, I don't want it to be undefined, but I also don't want to overdefine it because yeah. he's the blob. Um, and I, I think afterward I had, um, and I probably should have done this beforehand, but like, for instance, his leg that's stepping forward, his knee area. If you look at the studio model, they've done a really good job of oh, yeah. accentuating the, the kind of fatty tissue in that area. And it, it, to me, it looks very realistic. It looks like what would, you know, somebody that's, um, you know, that level of obese, like the, the way that adipose tissue would look in that area. Um, it, to me, that looks very realistic. And I, not having that reference, and of course it's difficult because even though that's modeled in there, the, the nuance of the detail is is harder to catch when you're painting it. Uh, and so I, I highly recommend anybody that's trying to kind of capture that aspect of the model is to find those reference photos while you're painting it so that you can try to capture it because I, I didn't. And so I feel like his legs and arms come across as probably a little too um, muscled, a little too like, uh, you know, like he hits the gym kind of thing. <clears throat> so... um. It, yeah, overall, the whole Ferdashio process on him, I think, was very illuminating. I think I got a really good 
um, I got I got a really good. I'm not even sure the term for it. Like the the visual interest in the flesh, I think is really really positive. I really like that part of the model. I like how that came out. Um, and then it was a very interesting process to kind of try something new like that. Um, and it taught me that uh, if I'm ever going for, like if I'm doing a bust or something like that, where I have to paint a lot of flesh and it's going to be a big part of the visual interest of your model, then I think a Verdashio technique would be great for that. But if you're just trying to, you know, uh, make Pyro look like he has skin on his face, it's probably not worth it. Yeah, it's a, a line on like kind of maximizing your your time to output. Yeah, just, just the uh, the blob model. You know, for for me, listening to you, I think we had a lot of the same process. Where I, um, I, I also really like the box art on the blob model, and you know, Aaron Lovejoy, I think, is one of the commission artists who who actually did um, did that one in particular. So it's a big. Big props to him because it it really it really looks great. So if you know anyone is looking for inspiration, um, I think looking at Aaron Lovejoy's uh, version of the blob is is you know really good. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those techniques that it, it's interesting to see. There's a lot of stuff out there in like the the quote unquote real art world that doesn't get used a lot in miniatures, and, and that's one of the reasons I like you know that Roman Laplatte video. Um, and, and people who who have spent actual time studying these things, it's it's interesting to try to apply. I think James Wapple is a, is another you know good good resource for that type of thing. But it, it's it's a good tool to kind of keep in your your miniature toolbox. Yeah, um, always, always good to have. Which reminds me, I want to try doing what you're doing with the like a wine red or something along those lines. Cause I, I've never done that as an undercoat for flesh before. And I, I like what I've seen from some of your models when, when we, I think it was the first time I noticed it, you were, I think it was maybe red guardian or something. And I saw the flesh on it. I was like, oh, that flesh looks really good. And you had mentioned it being like doing some kind of dark red wine, red as an undercoat and I, or a purple or something to that effect. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to try that out in the future too. And I'll, I'll let you know what my thoughts are on, on testing that out yeah i kind of mix in either either a purple or a red depending on kind of the the skin tone i'm looking for uh all right well i'll i'll, I'll take a few seconds to talk about my blob is it was a painful painful process uh to get through blob um basically start to finish i just really had a lot of difficulty um I, with, with all the things that we talked about um painting blob getting them to look right getting the muscles to look right uh the then by the time i got done the flesh i just really wasn't motivated to do the the actual jumpsuit correctly so i just kind of did a a bluish gray and then pretty flat yellow so i uh, didn't really enjoy enjoy painting blob too much um but it's a cool looking model uh, i i i'm glad that they kind of released it it was a a fun challenge on the flesh it was just um I kind of wish that I, I had thought, like, had your idea to actually use that Verdashio technique. I tried to do more airbrush glazing on it, and it didn't really take me too far, given the the small size and, like, the airbrush glazing really took away a lot of the volumes I was trying to create. So it was mm. it was just uh, tough to get together, but it's done. It's not too bad. Um, so I, I think that I can hand it back over to you. So that, that was Blob that you painted and then uh, Wolverine, but anything else you kind of went through? 
Uh, actually, no, that's that's it. Um, I had an elbow issue going on uh, after Blobs. I was really hoping to be done with Pyro and Sabretooth, um, but I've been taking Tylenol and ice in my elbow lately, so I haven't had a chance to really paint anything else. Yeah. Well, yeah, good, good to... Um know keep it from getting worse is, is probably the better thing to do yeah, even yeah. even if it's uh you're itching to paint yes uh, it's, so, it's choosing one paint over another really yeah so I'll, I'll keep going a little bit here um so after i painted blob i i painted pyro which was you know for me almost the complete opposite of painting blob i i actually really enjoy painting pyro like from end to end um it, it was a really fun model to paint the the very subtle muscle details on it are like incredibly well defined on the sculpt, and then you know you can let that guide you on on painting the musculature for pyro. Um, I, I had you know I don't always have this, but I had a pretty good basing idea for pyro. I got some um, like I beams from I think this was from Epic Basing, but you could uh, you could also get something from Plastruck that we talked about last time. And the idea was that he just kind of melted through like these steel beams and. Um, those were behind him, so that that was really fun to paint. I painted like a just melted steel beam behind him, and then, um, yeah, just like end to end on this model, I really I really enjoyed it, and I really like how how he came out. So that that's a that was a really fun one to do. I started with like a different yellow than I normally do. I, I mixed in; it was actually closer to like a, a pinkish red instead of like a normally start with a brown. But I wanted it to be very, very vibrant, and so that was that was fun to kind of achieve. Nice, um, yeah. No, I, I really, I really like your pyro. I appreciate. Uh, I like the the melted steel beam, especially because I just think it's very brave of you to add the controversy of does Jeff yeah, uh, melt I was steel gonna, beams? I was going to gently slide that model. in there. But yeah, <laughs> I, it, it is it is up for debate if he has jet fuel in there or not. So it's. Um, <laughs> We'll leave it to the listeners to decide if 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 Pyro is using jet fuel in his backpack. But yeah, uh, that, that that was I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, that that is a subtle, <laughs> subtle subtle joke I put in there for for the tabletop yeah. commentary. Yeah, I, th- um, I thought that was I thought that was pretty funny. I think it looks really cool because it's got that molten. It obviously looks like it was very recently uh, on fire. The the girders are still or the girder is still uh, you know uh, conducting heat. It looks really cool. Yeah, I'm really excited to paint Pyro. The the only the, the only worry I have about painting him is I know I'm going to want to do like some type of object source lighting from the flame and I have no idea how you do that on a model that's just red and yellow. Yeah. So Yeah, I'm that's tough. I, I think that. you'll have to that's kind of why I didn't do it. I, I didn't do any OSL for two reasons. One, I, I kind of like the the comic book look like He's he's obviously got a very comic book outfit, and it's a little bit mm-hmm. cartoonish to have the flame without the OSL. So I, right, I right. both intentionally didn't do it, and also just didn't really want to do it because of what you're describing, where that's yeah. that is going to be relatively difficult. I think that if you paint his outfit a little bit more glossy, you can just kind of push the contrast on those areas, and then you ha- you have to separate your fire tones like you have to use a different set of yellows and reds for your fire versus his outfit and then yeah. you know on, on those higher contrast areas shift the colors towards your fire tones rather than the the outfits it it, it is kind of a pain and i'm not 100% sure exactly how you would get there but um yeah, that's what you would need to do 
Yeah, that sounds like a pain and makes me not sure if I want to do it. So I might, <laughs> I might well, opt out of that and just paint mine yeah. similar to yours. Yeah, it's um, I I think it's fine not to. I mean, it, it it's definitely worth pushing yourself. So, sometimes I wish I was a little bit less lazy and and push myself to try those type of things. But yeah, it's it's not a an easy thing. I don't I don't think to actually get that OSL on there. Um, so I, I have a couple other things, but I, I just want to re reopen the wound. So I, I painted everything in December. So I painted all the new releases and then I, um, varnished everything and all of the things oh. I varnished came out with, with black speckling all over it, which was just, oh. just, just heartbreaking. So if you know, you've been in the discord, you, you heard me whine about it. So I won't do it here, but just all of the models have like very, I don't think it's faint. I think it's pretty obvious, but like from tabletop distance, you can't tell. But it's um, I just got primer all over everything and like a, a spatter, like a splatter pattern. It looks fine on almost everyone. Like I don't quite like how it looks because um, I usually paint a little bit cleaner. But you, I can maybe pass it off as just being battlefield dirt. But on Pyro, he has these like four huge dots that are um like just on his knees and in inappropriate areas that are just like these black dots and it's uh it's tragic so so be careful when you varnish make sure you actually uh clear out your airbrush i thought i did but i guess evidently something was in there the whole time just really ruining my christmas yeah yeah that's that's rough i i'll say for the record the the photos i've seen of your stuff it's not at all obvious to me so um as far as disasters go this is probably one of the easier to deal with ones because it definitely could have been worse um it, so if that makes you feel better like i don't think it's that noticeable uh, especially i i can't imagine you would notice it all on a tabletop uh obviously yeah, you can only really doing... notice the, the the pyro ones which is you know unfortunate yeah. but and obviously if you were doing a paint competition this would be a big disaster but yeah. uh if it makes you feel better it's not very noticeable however I would suggest uh, maybe try, I brought this up uh, a number of episodes ago. Uh, somebody was asking about like what you do about mistakes. And I talked about how I get these little, they're these little pink sticks. Um, I think they were recommended in like a Ninjon YouTube video. Uh, and they're, I think they have to do with makeup application or something along those lines. I think that's their intended use, but they're, they're essentially this like pink stick that has this little tiny fuzzy bit on the end. And uh, I use that dipped into some isopropyl alcohol. And I use that to touch up when little spots. And I actually had to do this on Blob because at one point I had gotten uh, I had gotten some of the... When I was painting his jumpsuit, his flesh was already done. And I had gotten some of the jumpsuit paint on the flesh. And I went and touched it up by using a little bit of uh, isopropyl on this little pink stick with the fuzzy bit. Uh, so you might want to try something like that. Um, you might be able to fairly painlessly, as long as you don't overdo the isopropyl and rub too much, you can actually just get off those little tiny specks. So you might want to try that. I I thought about it. I the the issue is this was um, a couple of days after like I actually did it is when I noticed. So I, I thought about you know doing that and then maybe should have committed to it a little bit more than I actually did, but. Um, yeah, it it is good advice, and I'll I'll keep it in mind. Does it work like for several days after if it's under a layer of varnish? Because this was happening during the varnishing step. 
do now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry, I, I was muted. Uh, yeah, uh, it should if you uh, it, you might have to go through a layer of varnish. It depends on, but if that's part of the layer of varnish, and you you should be able to, you just spend a little bit of time rubbing, and you'll see it come off. And then that little spot on the model might not have varnish on it, but if you either have some paint on matte varnish, you can always hit it up, or you know it's a spot on the model. Um, if you're not that concerned about that area, you know, getting rubbed a lot or touched a lot, then it might not even be an issue. Yeah, I'll have to think about it, um, at least for pyro. Uh, but that's good advice. Um, so there was that. And then in, in the new year, I, I, I bought myself a lot of 3D prints. And, and I like getting 3D prints because it um, they're, they're fun characters a lot of the time. And... Um, you know, I I just wanted to get some more models, so I, I got some three D prints of like some just various characters, and a lot of times I'll buy them with like a specific technique I want to try, um, and then I'll, I'll try that technique, and then the rest of the model I'll phone in. They they make you know for fun, quick speed painting like exercises for the cost that they are. Um, so I I got like a bunch of three D prints. I, I put those. Well, you don't have to really do much assembly, but I prepped all of those, and then I painted four of them. Um, I'll just run through what I wanted to try and you know how I think it came out. And I will say a lot of these are, are motivated by playing a lot of Marvel Snap. Uh, so I, <laughs> three of these are, are Marvel Snap characters. Uh, so the first one was Destroyer. I uh, thought the model was cool, and I wanted to try out um, Tamiya Panel Liner. So I, I did him in like a pretty generic, it, it looks really bad in the photos because that's, you know, true metallic metal stuff always does. But I did like, um, it, it's just a general, it, this, was, this was like the easiest model I've ever painted. So I painted it black gloss varnish because um, if you're doing like heavy metal, you kind of want to undercoat with a gloss varnish. So that gives you a little bit more shine to it. Hmm. Um, then I did a dark metal like i did all this is vallejo hair so i did a dark metal mixed in with a little bit of black as the base coat then that same metal without the metal mixed in as a like xenophil and then a higher xenophil with an even lighter color um, i didn't do any edge highlighting i, I probably could have if i wanted to I, I, actually that's not true i did a little bit of um edge highlighting and doing the very tops of things and then everything else is just, you know, Tamiya panel liner, which I, you know, had, I've had it around for a while, but I've never really used it. Uh, that stuff is really nice. Um, I, I really enjoy using that, and I'll probably do it again. It, it was even nice. You can see some muscle definition, like, on his leg in that picture I sent. Mm -hmm. That was just me actually using the Tamiya panel liner, like, with the little brush applicator that it has and dragging that along there. So you can kind of paint with it a little bit. I, I think if I was, like... A, spending more than 40 minutes on this model I, I probably would have done more but i think it gave a you know a really cool effect for for how little effort i put into this and then the base i'm actually super happy with the base it's like an actually i think it's a very convincing looking rocky outset the issue is it's not very interesting i think i should have mixed in more red at some point but, mm. but that's actually usually how i would want my you know how i think that rocky dirt stuff should look is like very subtle dusty looking gradation i it, it just like this picture doesn't look very interesting and i think i should have mixed in a little bit more red gotcha yeah it, it's interesting you bring that up because i i've noticed when looking at your blob for instance that the uh 
there's a lot of visual interest in the base. Uh, like you've got some kind of rusting on like the grate and the the manhole cover, and then there's like some dirt and grime on the street. And it, it I'm becoming more and more aware the more I paint that I need to keep upping my base. My I, I feel like my bases are very dull, and so uh, that's something I'm going to try to focus on in the new year is just putting more effort into my basing and making it more visually interesting. And so I, I know how you feel looking at a base and being like, okay, I like how I did this, but there's something about the base that just feels, uh, you know, dull. It feels like it's yeah. not, not adding much to the model kind of thing. I know how that feels. Yeah. Good, good eyesight on, on like my, my sewer grade there. That That's actually, I, I mentioned on the podcast before, but I, I use like the dirty down rust effect on that. So that's just one layer of the dirty down rust effect. And, you know, I think that's even a better example than what I had last time of just, you know, that, that paint is, is really nice for making rust effects. What, uh, who makes that? The dirty down yeah. rust effect? Oh, gosh. I think it's like Goblin Hut or something. Um, I'll, I'll re-put it in the show notes. Um, dirty okay. Down. I think I'm going to have to pull the trigger on that because I, I, I definitely need it. And did you do the same thing for the, because I noticed you've got kind of some, some dirt grind prime area stuff on like you know where the blob is stepping and there's kind of like the pavements all kind of messed up yeah that that's thinned down like like i think i talked about this too that that was thinned down um of the go wash paints so so they really make a really nice like a uh, feathered area if you really thin them down put them on there and wipe away most of it you do that a few times you get that really subtle like stuff i you can also do that with pigment powders it's just i've been kind of playing around with the go wash paints for that so that, that's not dirty down that's more go wash i think the dirty down would show up a little bit like a little bit less subtle than that um but uh you could because the, the nice thing about the dirty down is it's water soluble so you can reactivate it so i, I i'm sure you could do something similar it's just i uh, I didn't do it there, and I haven't tried to do that. But yeah, that, that's that's um, like thin down, feathered out, uh, go wash paints. Gotcha. Okay. Sounds like uh, I've got a couple options for quick and dirty ways of fixing my basing problem. Yeah. Uh, th thanks for noticing, because that is something I've been trying to do a little bit more with some of the releases, is add in like some color interest. Um, I, I probably mention them every episode, but Jonathan Ho and... Um, uh, Colin Sec do a lot of like really interesting MCP work, and you know one thing that they do is they spend a lot of they don't I don't know how much time they spend, but it the bases that they do have like this you know subtle color variation, so that's something that I try to work into my bases a little bit more to add some interest because um, I used to just kind of have like my my base recipe which was uh, you know just like dry brushed grays, but uh adding in a little bit of like off coloring dirt and stuff up i think helps add to that um so the next 3d print i did was guardian and i got this because i thought it was a funny model because uh, it was labeled as captain canada and i don't know anything <laughs> about um i i thought he was alpha flight because you know anything canadian is, I, i'm just assuming uh is alpha flight so I, I bought this model because I thought it'd be funny, um, and I, I think that it is funny. So if you're not familiar, listeners, with the question with the character Guardian, it's he's just like a giant. Well, he's not giant, but his outfit is just the Canadian flag, and I, mm -hmm. I thought that that was that was pretty goofy. Um, so I, I just got him. He was like four bucks. So I, I thought it would be worth it. 
uh, to to just have in like you know in casual games, just proxy in for random stuff. Um, I did try out on the base. I wanted to because I've been and I'll, I'll follow up on this. I've been trying out like different things. The reason I painted them early is, is I've been trying out different things to create snow and cold type effects. So I tried um, Briar Queen Chill contrast paints from GW. And I think it looks okay. Um, I'm not sure it's something that I would use in the future, but it gives a very nice, like, greenish snow. Um, but it's not quite cyan enough, I think, for a snow color. But but it is it is a nice paint, and I'll probably use it again in the future. But that, that's what I used on his base there to, um, and then I just dry brush that with white. Hmm. Yeah, I, I uh, on that note, actually, um, I on my Logan, I had kind of just the snow on his is very unimpressive and that's because it's essentially a placeholder for what's going to be like a legitimate attempt at snow paint job later um i'm not positive how i want to go about doing it yet and so i was going to wait until i was finished with Sabretooth, and then i go to do the um the weapon x uh terrain piece the, that goes with the diorama and when i do that that's when i'm going to try to nail down kind of a snow effect that i want to go for because it's been a while since i've tried to paint a pre-existing textured snow so uh, i don't really have a recipe for that i came up with a recipe a long time ago for doing make your own snow uh, where you just use like a combination of pva glue white acrylic paint and baking soda Uh, and it makes for i use that for my i have a hoth themed uh star wars legion army um and it works well for making your own snow, but if you already have snow, of course, that's a different ballpark. It's more difficult, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't have a thing down for that yet, so I'll probably have to kind of pick your brain and and, and come up with, uh, see, see what I can come up with. But So so part of what I've been doing, and uh, well, actually, you know, I, I will, I'll follow back up on this because the last thing I've been working on, it kind of, kind of touches on that. So I, I will circle back up with that in a minute here. Um, so uh, I painted Cosmo, um, and I didn't really do anything on him that I think is noteworthy. Um, I saw he was a cool character, so I wanted to get him. And I painted the leader, uh, which I I want to try a couple of things. I want to try to recreate. He's got this orange jumpsuit that I wanted to try to recreate. So I, I tried like a very like muted orange look that I thought was fun. And then I, I spent a lot of time on the face, like trying to get some nice highlighting on like a, a large cylindrical surface. So uh, like with all these 3D prints, there's only like two or three things I really spent time on. And then everything else is just kind of phoned in. So the black on him is like all 99%. Uh, what is it? Um, black Templar contrast. And then, the base is a lot sloppier than I normally do, but um, yeah. So I painted four 3D prints, and then the last thing I painted, uh, and, and I, I will spend a little bit of time on this, and it ties into the snow. So I, I'm going to the uh, Kill Team Open, uh, which which is you know a Baltimore. Um, I think it's only the second one they've done, uh, but I live in Baltimore, so so there's a local like Kill Team convention that's going to happen in February. And I'm going because there's going to be some, you know, nice painting classes that I'm excited to take. But along with that, they also have a painting competition that, um, you know, I, I kind of want to enter uh, with this. So I, I bought the box of Gellerpox Infected um, from, 
you know, kill team. I, I just kind of like to look at those models. And I'm doing a fire team category, which which is a, a set of five. So the idea that I had is, you know, I was really just going to paint them zombies on like walking down an urban street, but I had an interesting idea where, like, what if I did them on a snow field and then I could paint like the dead flesh as being very um, frostbitten in the extremities, which I thought would be, you know, like a unique take and then paint very like cold dead flesh and then the warmth from the undertones of that flesh would contrast really nicely against like an icy field. Um, so that is the general idea. And I painted one of the five of those. And I quite like how he came out. Actually, that, that picture I sent is an old one, but it's kind of in the show off your mini. I, I like how it came out. Uh, but the the problem I'm going to run into is I need to paint snow. So one of the things I've been doing with the Logan Wolverine, they have some snow on their base. Um, sorry, not Logan Wolverine. Uh, who's the other cat? Sabretooth? What's his name? Uh, Apex Predator. Now, what, what's his what's his uh, Christian name? Oh, um, oh my God, I don't yeah. remember. Like, all right, well, well, Sabretooth and Wolverine, I guess. Uh, I, I I tried painting their snows a couple of different ways, um, and then I tried again. One of the reasons I painted Guardian earlier was to try out the snow there. So what's what's trying to I'm thinking about snow because a lot of the time I've done snow is just flat white. And that's not particularly interesting. So I, I heard Eric Swinson on a podcast once talk about like no one really shade, shades their snow. And he was talking about it in respect to this model, which I'm dropping a link to. So so this model here is where he painted snow. And he says he just shaded that with turquoise ink out of an airbrush. And I mm. thought that that was really interesting. But it works really well on this. Yeah, like, it does big area so he says it was the easiest thing to do he just put on snow effects and then shaded it with turquoise ink from an airbrush and i've tried to do that and i don't think it quite works on the smaller scale so what, what i've tried to do is to recreate that with painting so if you you know look at my wolverine or my logan i've painted it turquoise and then highlighted up through a grayish white to a straight white and then I like will do an extremely thin wash of the turquoise to tie it all together. So that's been my that's what I did on Logan and Wolverine to try to like recreate this airbrush look. Obviously, a lot less soft than what he has, but you're painting that texture, um, textured surface that like is kind of provided by the model. So again, that's I'm starting with like a muted turquoise as the base layer, and then I like just dry brush or stipple that up to pure white. I'm moving through like a there's this gray teal color that I really like, hmm. so that that's kind of been my go-to for painting pre-textured snow. But I need to actually create a lot of snow textures. So I was kind of picking your brain on, um, you know, how that that snow recipe you said, and I, and I might do something like that. I'm I'm really trying to figure it out, but um, I, I have the the diorama scene. I think I posted it in one of the channels. So that's that's been going and i i did a resin pour which was uh, the first time i'd done that so I, I did a resin pour to like recreate ice um and then i have some ideas for how to paint that up uh so that is the long what i've painted uh, and i'll stop there but um yeah for the, for the next couple of weeks i think i want to be working on these these geller pox and then just wallowing in the drowning in the gw like pouches or whatever gotcha yeah it's victor creed by the way i don't know why victor, i brain farted okay. that but victor creed 
There we go. Perfect. So everyone can stop yelling. I got their, their podcast. <laughs> one. Man. Oh, okay. So that's that's what I've painted. Um, very quite very the journey. Section. A lot of stuff. Two weeks, and then you know the last last week of the year is usually actually pretty productive for me painting wise because I, I kind of take the week off of work and just putts around the house. Nice. Yeah, I I wish mine were as productive. I'm falling behind. Uh, well, you'll you'll catch up to me when I when I you know have to be productive in the future. Uh but let's move on to our main topic. If that, if that wasn't quite enough for people, so. Uh, we are still working our way through the um, you know the leadership. Plenty more to go, but um, I thought it would be fun to talk about something that I've actually painted within the last year. Um, only only just barely though. Like I kind of painted these exactly, I think February of twenty two, so eleven months ago, um, and that would be Blade and Moon Knight. So we're going to talk through the Midnight Suns leadership affiliation here. Yeah, I, uh, I painted these uh, alternatively. I painted these kind of a while ago. Both of mine are kind of showing their age as far as uh, quality of paint jobs compared to the rest of my collection. So we were different there, and that for me, this was quite some time ago. Well, well, it'll be it'll be good to get some, like retrospective on that. Uh, so let's let's start with Moon Knight then, and then we'll we'll bookend that with the the actual leader from the box. So, um, do you do you want to you want to start with Moon Knight? I've been I've been kind of talking for a while here. Sure, yeah. Uh, so for me, Moon Knight, uh, he was... The, so there's an important lesson, I think, to take away from miniature painting, and Moon Knight is what taught me that lesson. Uh, I decided to go with a kind of double OSL effect from him, and I totally stole this idea off somebody from Instagram, so I'm not taking any credit for this, but uh, I... I saw somebody had him, you know, he looks like he's overlooking a rooftop kind of thing. Uh, well, he should be. He has that little bit of roof that he's standing on. Of course, if you just slap that on a regular base, it looks weird, which is why one of the things I think we're going to have to discuss, both with Moon Knight and Blade, is conversions you can do to the base that make the sculpt make a little more sense when they're mounted on a base as opposed yeah, to just gluing it to a base. Uh, but before we get into that... From a painting standpoint, what I discovered with Moon Knight, because I tried to do this thing where, okay, he's overlooking a rooftop, uh, and he's got this kind of pink glow coming from, like, city lights uh, from underneath him. But then he has, like, a a kind of bluish glow coming from above that's like the moonlight. And it gives a very cool... And, of course, because it's pink and kind of a turquoise look, it's got, like, kind of a synthwave vibe to it, so... I really like how it looks. Um, I thought it was a really cool, striking look, and uh, and it's a little more visually interesting than than just having a white Moon Knight, especially if you don't really know how to paint white all that well. And at the time I went to paint him, I did not know how to paint white at all. So uh, for me, it was like, okay, this is a cool way for me to get like a Moon Knight I like without uh, having to you know spend a ton of time on it. And so what I did is went with like a double OSL effect. And this is one of the few models where I, I painted it mostly with an airbrush. Now, well, I say one of the few. This is the only model where I painted it mostly with a paintbrush. And that's mainly because I did an airbrush from above with like a turquoise, an airbrush from below with a, a kind of a magenta. And this is before... Uh, well, sorry, this is after I did a Zenithal Prime on him, and in retrospect, I should have done 
like an above Xenothal and a below Xenothal, since that's what I was going to be doing. And I didn't do it from below. And as a result, my magenta is a little darker and deeper than it probably should be. Um, and then I went through and like kind of reinforced some of the highlights by hand and did a little bit of like trying to make him look like he's white in between. And I didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't really have a huge plan going into it. And interestingly, what I ended up with, I think still looks really striking. Like it looks really cool on the tabletop, but it it is a rough paint job. It is a rough paint job. And, and it made me realize that with any paint job, there is no end to the amount of work you can put into it. Like I now understand when I hear about somebody that goes like, I, I guess the guy that just went to the last UK golden demon, I guess he's the guy that has like more golden demons than anybody on earth. And uh, sure. he's the one that did that, like gargant wrestling, a Hydra thing. And it's like uh, stepping yeah. in the ocean. We, I think we discussed it before. Uh, amazing, amazing model, amazing paint job. Apparently, according to him, he put like, well over 360 hours into it and moon knight is what made me realize you can do that with any model because there's no end to the highlighting shading moving um you know m moving around your transitions smoothing them out a little bit more moving the light uh you can do it pretty much endlessly on any model and I, I was left with this place of like, well, should I? And at multiple times, I went to do more of that to him and then was like, okay, cool. I think he's done now. And then I was like, okay, I just need to finish up the basing and he's done. And then I'd be like, well, uh, maybe I should play with this part a little bit. And so I'd go back in and I just kept doing that for a while until eventually I realized like, I don't want to do that. I, he, he's, he looks striking on a table. He looks really good. I like how he looks. He is not a great paint job, but because of the color palette I did and the kind of effect I went for, it immediately gives across this cool, like, you know, uh, it, it, it feels very iconic to look at. And so I was like, I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to call him done. And, and so the big lesson I learned is that whereas you can go, you know, 360 plus hours into literally any model if you want to, uh, it really comes down to wherever you're choosing to stop is arbitrary. There, there's, there's no saying that you have to do 360 models and there's no saying that you don't have to do 360 models so, or, or hours. So where you want to stop is really dependent on your goal. Like, what are you trying to get out of this? Is this a competition piece? Do you just want it to be painted so that you can put it on the tabletop? Do you just want, you know, something that looks cool on a tabletop, uh, gives across certain vibe, uh, it, it really, you, and, and it made me start thinking about what am I trying to do with each individual piece that I'm painting instead of thinking about, okay, I just need to get this painted or whatever. I, I, and now I, so it, I guess it took a part of what was kind of happening subconsciously and brought it out of my subconscious. And it's now something I consciously think about when I paint. Uh, and I think that in and of itself has kind of elevated my painting is because now I'm actually consciously thinking through stuff like that instead of it, it just not being something you're really aware of something that's going on in the background kind of thing yeah I think another you know good way to think about that is to say like 
you know, what are you trying to do with this specific paint job, right? Maybe maybe it's like the, a similar type approach. Like if I'm trying to get that, you know, two light source, opposite color type look, then you stop there when you feel you get that instead of just constantly fussing around with everything. But I think that's a, you know, a really solid insight to, to think about with painting. And it, it, it certainly does, you know, will hopefully lead to you like improving as a painter uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and I think if when I go to paint, because I, I will eventually do a repaint on him, not because I'm, you know, feel like he super needs one, uh, but just because, uh, number one, the conversion I did on the base, I feel like I could do a better job on that. I want to I want to tackle that one again. And then I'd also like to do one now that I have a better understanding of how to paint white. I would like to try doing just a white Moon Knight because, you know, that is it is kind of his canon color on his on his paint job. And it's a bit of a challenge to do an all white model and still have it look good. So I, I'm excited to kind of challenge myself in that regard. But I I feel like we would be remiss without talking about what you can do with the base. Um, I, I think Yeah, well. Yeah, well, I I certainly agree with you. I, w I want to mention though, like um, a co a couple things about yours, and I, I want to briefly touch on mine. Like, I, I think that your Moon Knight is a really good example of what I you know, try try to get across. Maybe maybe not um, perfectly all the time, but it, it's very clearly you know white takes taking on the influence from the environment. I think yours is a really good example of that. And I think you have enough bits of white in there, and both of the colors consistently highlight up to white, that the model still reads white, even though, you know, maybe 90, 80% of the model is is not white, right? right. Um, so you could look at that model and say, like, that is a, oh, gosh. Um, I, I don't know. That, like, like, you could say, like, that that model is is white, even though it's it's pink and blue. And, and that, that's just a very unique thing to get out of a model. Um, the other thing I, I want to talk about is just like kind of my approach on the colors. And I'll, I'll be quick about this because I didn't um, do a ton. It, it, I painted mine in a warmer white. And I, and I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but kind of my approach to warmer whites is to think about um, is, is to start with a, a brownish gray instead of just a, a, you know, a bluish gray, which is commonly um, done for white so a lot of the people or a lot of the recipes that are out there to start with white is a very blue oriented gray but you know the other approaches to white are to start with a brownish white um, brown is going to have a little bit more red mixed into it um, at some point along the light way uh, and then you can highlight up to ivory colors which you know have yellow mixed in with the white or off-white and that's going to give a much more warm feeling white um, so i i did that because i wanted to kind of mimic the uh the mcu um Mm. style moon knight who, who's you know he's got the a warm white like egyptian cloth linen type feel right right um so just like thinking about alternate outfits is you, know, you can do what you did where you're, you're very influenced by the environmental colors which i think you know looks very striking and is, is very good i mean you can do a warm white which is more mcu inspired um like moon knight actually has a lot of alternate outfits where like sometimes he wears like a black outfit. Like sometimes different parts mm -hmm. of his are black. Um, you you can go for a cold white. He's very commonly depicted that way in the comics. So there there are a lot of ways that you can take the paint job itself. But um, yeah, I think importantly with him, and I'll pass it back over to you. Is is importantly with him, um, the base is is you know, a, a key component um, of 
like like the, the base here is 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 important i think for these two models because like you mentioned the um the thing he's standing on is does not make sense if you just slap it on the bottom of a roof um it, it it's supposed to be like a chimney i think and and that just really doesn't sell as you know what he's supposed to be doing because it's, it's caves blowing in the wind he's, he's very clearly supposed to be standing like on a um like on a rooftop looking out over the environment and if you just put that on the base itself it, it's not going to look like that it's not going to look bad it's just going to maybe you know take a second glance and be like is this you know what what's actually happening here um so so i think basing ideas are an important thing to go over for this model yeah yeah no i couldn't agree more I, for me it kind of everything about this hobby for me is kind of the verisimilitude which is a fancy word for immersion it's like does it feel like it really exists in there or every time you look at it is that they're kind of it it's breaking the fourth wall in some way that takes you out of the moment kind of thing so i really didn't like the idea of oh i'm just going to slap this on on a base and call it good i was like no i'm not going to do that and so i thought thought through like well how would i go about fixing this and there is one base one of probably one of my favorite bases that mcp guys make is uh it's the flat one that just has like the two lines going through it and then it's got like a little divot taken out of uh taken out of it, it it's the one with probably i guess you could argue the least detail it doesn't have you know any manhole cover stuff it doesn't have like a, a lip or a corner of uh, a sidewalk or anything like that it's just the flat base yeah. i took that one and I essentially made a straight line. Uh, I, I used one of the grooves as this is going to be the edge of the building. And then I actually used a hobby saw to saw off. I, I used a combination of a hobby saw and then like a Dremel grinder to to make that part of the base go away so that part of the lip is just flat. Like there's just, uh, you know, you get to that line and then after that, it's just blackness representing the night outside the uh, the base or out, out, outside of the building. Right? And then I then took plastic card, and uh, and this 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 took a bit of work to do, um, but I took plastic card and kind of connected it to the or, or put it to the base, drew lines on it, so I knew where to kind of cut it out, and I used that to create this idea that the thing he's standing on is part of the brick side of a building. And so I basically added plastic hard bits to the back of it and then to the front of it going off to his left. So I guess you're looking at the model stage right. Uh, to get the impression that he's standing at the corner of a building. Um, and of course, everything I'm saying, it probably sounds clunky. If you actually see a picture, it you'll understand what I'm saying. Oh yeah, I, I, I think I think it makes. Um, yeah, I, sorry, keep going. I, I think that it, it lines up pretty well with what you have there. Yeah, and then then I used a hobby knife to kind of carve the impression of the brick pattern into the sides of the plastic card I added on one side. And then I left, I, I didn't put the pattern intentionally in 
on the stuff on the front to make it look like you're not seeing the entirety of the front of the building. You're just seeing the part of the lip of the building. Uh, and and then I used some, I can't remember if it was plastic putty or liquid green stuff. I don't remember if I had switched over to plastic putty at the time. Um, but I used some type of gap filling to uh, get rid of one of the sidewalk lines and then to... Um, and to fill in a little bit of the detail on the pavement to make it look less beat up. Um, it's still got some divots in there. It still feels like it's a rooftop. It just doesn't feel as dinged up as the pavement did. Uh, and that, that was how I kind of did my conversion. And I really like it. Um, I will say, though, that my first go at it is, is rather flawed. Um, when I go to do a second one, I think uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a better job of making the part he's standing on kind of blend into the rest of it. You can kill, still kind of see where it's different from the rest of the rooftop. So it's it's not perfect by any stretch, but it generally gives the idea that he is standing on the corner of a rooftop overlooking it, which I think is such a vital part of the pose uh, that I really like how it came across. I, I think it's a, a really cool way of kind of converting it to keep that iconic look and not make it look like he's you know striking a pose on the pavement kind of deal yeah yeah no i i, I think it i think it looks great and it's definitely a, a good approach for trying to um get him to look on the rooftop i, I think that's really good um I, another thing that i've seen that's that's in a similar vein to yours but um i i think doesn't give quite as good a look but it's a bit easier is if you're able to use um like like actually use elements of a building like on the corner and maybe you just have um like you just manage to cut something in that circular shape that's actually tall and then you put moon knight on top of that um or or if you have like a, a statue or a pillar or something i think that that can help do something similar while maybe being a bit easier but you don't get this really nice look i, I actually really like how yours looks because um it really does look like he's he's standing on a rooftop, and, you, and you've really done a good job of transforming the base um, that's presented to you while still, um, you know, having it be the official MCP base. Which yeah, is nice. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, I was really happy with how it came out. Um, I'm really looking forward to the new version of it, which I think will be uh, uh, even better than the one I pulled off the first time around. So, I, I also I appreciate what you did with yours. Um, I think it's, yeah. So. Yeah, if you want to get into that, I'd love to hear kind of your process of uh, how you got to that point. So I'll talk about the actual basing idea, and then um, th this kind of touches on one of the listener questions we've had out there for a while on, like, you know, advice for sculpting a little bit, because this is, you know, the one MCP model I've, I've done any sculpting on. Um, so I, I have mine standing on, uh, like, an air duct coming out of a rooftop is kind of how I envisioned it. Um, and I guess I can't remember how I fell there. I think I saw, I was like looking for ideas on how to get him to look like it's on a rooftop. And I think someone mentioned that he, he's actually relatively easy to convert is if you just clip the leg at his, his knee, like so one of his legs is standing, pointing backwards. So if you just clip the leg at that knee, basically straight across, and then you tilt the thigh area forward, and then have the bottom half of the leg, you know, going backwards. It, it gives you like he's crouching on top of something. Look, like he just jumped up on there, or 
you know, maybe if you're really stretching your imagination, imagination, he's going to jump off of that. So I thought that I would do that, and I was trying to think, okay, what what could he be jumping on? That would be on a rooftop. And I had just gotten a, a terrain crate kit, like an industrial pipe kit, and one of those was this um, this little bit of piping that I kind of made look like it was uh, coming out of a rooftop. I used some texture paint around it to maybe look like it's on a rooftop. I'm not quite sure it works, but um, that was the general basic idea. Um, but a big component of that was the converting. And, and um, the question from the listener was like, you know, advices on on converting stuff. And, you know, eventually we like to have someone on who actually knows what they're talking about. But but generally just working with green stuff, I want to give some advice on that because I had to do a little bit of research and like I've kind of kept my my ear to the ground on any further advice on how to how to work with this stuff. Um, and then uh do some sculpting there. I, I will say that this is a mix of um, you know whole cloth sculpting, like if you're sculpting a thing on its own, and also just kind of like gap filling, working with um, working with minor convergence on the model. That's what I'm looking for. Minor convergence on the model, like like this would be. It's kind of what this advice is geared towards. I think a lot of this would work for whole cloth sculpting, but. Um, you know, you'd have to try it out. Uh, so the first thing is to get those um, like silicone rubber applicators. Um, I've seen a lot of green stuff conversions where you have your thumbprint and the uh, the model, which is, you know, unfortunate and it's tough to do something about. But if if you just kind of use your fingers for your final steps of the green stuff, you're, you're going to get your um, like fingerprints on it. And then it's it's going to be very obvious that this was a green stuffed item. So um, a lot of things when I do this type of conversion, like like you said, um, the first limitude of like, is this a realistic, like, does this fit in universe? And the number one thing that would take me out of that is if you see something and you can immediately tell how it was done. So when I whenever I see that, I'm like, oh, they, you know, use green stuff with their fingers. No, nothing makes a sculpted bit of the model look like green stuff than a fingerprint, you know? Yeah, it, um, tools to smooth green stuff and water are your best friend when you're doing anything yeah. with sculpting, for sure. Yeah, so so the, the silicone tip things, I'll, I'll put a link in the skull note. You, you can find them in art supply stores like at Sculpting Tools. I think a lot of times they're called paint shapers or something um, for people who paint with like really thick oil paints. But um, they work really great for um, green stuff. Uh, you mentioned the water, and I have a couple of uh, tips about the water. Um, when this this I didn't have this on Moon Knight. I I did what I'm about to say, but um, one thing that I always have struggled with is if you just you know use water on those silicone tools, um, a lot of the time um, your your green stuff is going to stick to the tools. It's going to be hard to get a smooth surface. So one piece of advice that I've kind of stuck with and worked on is um, if you mix a little bit of cornstarch into the water you're using. Is that that gives you a lot better, um, like, like that prevents your tool from sticking to the green stuff, and the green stuff will just stick to the model. So if you kind of have a light layer of um, of cornstarch in the water that you're using as your like smoothing tool, whatever, like you, know, you would thin a paintbrush down, you kind of have a coat of um, water on your your tool that will give you a uh, that that will make it a lot easier to actually work with the green stuff um and then give you the ability to uh 
like not have it stick and then you get like these textured surfaces um the other thing i've tried um is to put lotion on your silicone tip like just just body lotion and, and that actually works pretty well as well is if you just have you know every now and then you just kind of put a little bit of lotion onto the um like the silicone tip you're working with it, it also prevents sticking so um you can always tell i'm doing green stuff because i'll have a uh like a potty of, of body lotion in the in the hobby room with me. I have to go find wherever it is in the house. Uh, so that that's kind of on the tool side. Any, any anything else you have with sculpting, or, or have you done a lot of green stuff sculpting? No, I've, I'm one of those people that's incredibly intimidated by the the concept of green stuff sculpting. I think the the closest I've ever done to anything like that, I think, is. Um, back in the day, I played salamanders for 40k, and I had gotten some dark elf cloaks. Uh, the corsair cloaks look like kind of salamander scales, and they make really good kind of loincloth tunic type stuff uh, for salamanders. And so I had converted up a bunch of them with that, and and I essentially used green stuff to just kind of smooth the conversion to make it look it, similarly what you did here with with moon knight like you're just trying to make it look like you didn't just cut up a piece of a model yeah. and glue it to another model um nothing super fancy and i i also had very limited tool usage so i had just like a kind of sculpting tool that was metal and then water and that's all i did and that that is kind of the extent every other time i've used green stuff it's been for the sake of gap filling kind of thing so um very limited experience with that kind of stuff and generally something i'm intimidated by yeah i mean the theme of these is to make it easier so you're not fighting with the tools it it, it doesn't actually help you sculpt like a little bit better um because that that's just you know skill and developed talent is, is eventually what you need to get to because you know sculpting is a tool it is a skill and it's a very difficult skill and I, I think some advice there to get better at it is is my biggest sin with green stuff like trying to do this type of conversion not that i've done a ton is to i try to do it all in one go and that just ends up looking a little bit clumsy so i i think like you know how you would um maybe do this a little bit better it is kind of how people sculpt um like clay figures right they start with an armitage or i'm probably saying that wrong but armitage they fill it out a little bit then they add a little bit more in there and then so on but you develop it up over time and that can be a little bit you know tough on the nerves because you're, you're relatively impatient with trying to get this done but you know if you go a little bit at a time i think that that helps a lot um with developing, like getting convincing looking green stuff, you know, smooth it out. And then your last step can be, well, I'm sorry, your first couple of steps don't need to be smooth if you do it that way. Just the last step and that, that can, you know, help you get towards your goal without worrying about making it smooth at every step along the way. Um, and then I, I, I think that's probably actually most of the advice that I have. I'm, I'm trying to think if I have anything else that I've read. Some Some of this is like, I've heard this and not quite implemented it, um, but I, I think that it's uh, that's something I want to try to get a little bit more use out of at the end of the day. Yeah, it's definitely um, something I want to play around with more. Um, I mean, it's an obvious growth area for me for a hobby, so yeah. I'll, I'll definitely jump into that head first at some point, but I'll probably be picking your brains on it to 
uh, make sure I don't bungle it. Uh, well, I, I'm not sure I can give you advice, but yeah, hopefully one of these days we can get someone on who who does a lot of sculpting. I know Cutthroat Cure does a decent amount of green stuff sculpting. Maybe he can kind of give some advice. But yeah, I, I think it's just patience, um, patience, figuring it out, and uh, going slower than you'd probably like to. It's it's a much more slow process than painting is. Um, at least it feels like it. Um, so I'm trying to look through the notes here, see if I had anything else on sculpting. I think that that was most of the advice that I have, and, and hopefully that gives at least the best answer that we can give right now to that listener question. Um, but I will, I'll shuffle us along to the actual leader here, which would be Blade. Yeah, speaking of, of basing, um, he's another model that uh, I always, and I feel bad because I don't like judging people, but I always cringe a little when I just see the arms sticking out of pavement. It always irks me. Um, yeah, yeah, it's um, sorry, keep going. Yeah, I'm just just not a fan of it. it. To me, it breaks, you know. I mean, I get that, you know, it, there are arguments to be made because it could be magical hands. It's not like he only fights vampires, right? There's other stuff he'll fight. So, uh, and, and I, one of the more clever conversions I think I saw somebody did is they, um, I think they used like tombstones and like they made it look like he, he the hands were like zombie hands coming out of a grave. And I was like, oh, that's a nice way of kind of, getting around the why are they coming out of the ground issue without actually changing it to where they're not coming out of the ground. I thought that was rather clever. But he, he is definitely a model, I think, that inspires people to, uh, you know, do something creative with the base so that you're not just gluing a model onto the base. And, and I actually, I want to say to AMG's credit, I appreciate that they did that. Because uh, what better way to get people to grow as a hobbyist than giving them an incentive to, to try something that they maybe normally wouldn't have done? You know, it, it's really, if every model looks good when you just slap it on pavement and all of your hobbyists are, you know, or a significant chunk of them at any rate are going to be fine with just gluing a model to a base and painting it. But it's only when you give them something that it's like, is it like a Moon Knight or a Blade, where it's like, well, that doesn't necessarily make sense for this model, that you get them to start thinking creatively and thinking about what they can do with the model, what can they change, what can they add to it, that that now gets them thinking about, well, I don't, I can do that with other models too. Like, why does my Amazing Spider-Man need to just be on pavement? Why does my, you know... uh why does my black cat need to be in the position she's in? Maybe I can do something different with her. Like it, it, it's people to grow. I think as hobbyists when they do stuff like this, and and that's why I appreciate it as as much as it can irk me when I see someone who didn't do it. The fact that it exists at all, uh, I know is going to push people as hobbyists, and I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely does push. Yeah, I mean, a couple quick ideas for like ways to tuck in the base, and, and maybe we can talk about what we did. Is I've seen people like have it like look like the sidewalks cracking, so kind of use um, you know something that looks like cracked sidewalk and have them coming out of that. Um, I think I've seen someone have it come out of like a, a trash can or something, or or you know even just do something altogether with blade. Like a lot of people don't necessarily like the the hands and the, the smoke itself and then you can um you know you can have him jumping off of something else and you know i think that's it's all valid ways to approach the model but to your point like 
is making you think about well what else do i what else am i going to do with this like like thinking about modeling in a different way which you don't always do with um in this game yeah for sure yeah i i particularly appreciate i think out of our approaches i'm a bigger fan of yours than i am of mine i i almost feel like you took kind of what i was going for and kind of took it to the next level and i i really appreciate what you did with yours i wonder if you could kind of walk through your your thought process on that for us yeah so uh, the the general idea was i i haven't seen blade in a long time but like the one scene that sticks out it's it's the blood rave scene where you know it gets all the vampires are just kind of jumping around and and this this like bloody bloody mess so the idea that i had was that he was, you know, jumping into a scene like that, like the vampire hands were coming out of blood. Um, and I, I've talked about this before on the episode, but the way that I recreated that blood effect was um, I, I painted the hands in smoke green, and then I airbrushed onto the base red so that, like, I, def- I deliberately oversprayed onto some of those hands so that, you know, there was some some red influence on that green smoke. And then to actually get the blood pool that he's jumping into and those hands are reaching out of was, um, it's, it's relatively straightforward. It's just um, any type of red ink. Like if you can find more crimson ink, the better. Like you want to stay away from like a more pyrrole red ink because it won't look quite right. Uh, but, but like some type of crimson ink, um, mix that into a Vallejo water effect and then kind of drop that on there. I think I did two layers of it. And the nice thing about it is it's 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 very glossy and it um it gives you like a texture that you know kind of maybe looks like rippling water if you sculpt it correctly. It's kind of like a thick gel that hardens over. So the the can itself is like a thick gel that then will harden over time um, into like a transparent glossy surface. So if you mix an ink with that, you can get a lot of different colored water. Um, I think the last time I talked about it was was briefly when I painted my gore. My 3D printed core is I, I mixed black in with ink with that to get like a very glossy black um, uh, uh, tentacle effect out of it. Uh, so that's what I did. I mean, it's relatively straightforward. Like the general idea was like, you know, they're vampires, blood, like that blood rave. Like maybe they're jumping into some kind of red portal made out of blood. Um, you, know, you can imagine it, but it it, it was a nice. You know, different thing to do with the base that was that was relatively straightforward to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I really but... like how it came across. Um, I think uh, it, you know, it vampires, of course, vampires and blood. You can't do one without the other, right? It's it's a critical part of what vampires are, and so having that involved in Blade's base, I think, makes uh, a ton of sense, and it it just looks really cool. And it, it, what I did is uh, similar in concept, except I, I've i never really messed much with water effects, and so the idea of using water effects and inks never occurred to me. Um, so basically I took a flat base, just like the one for Moon Knight. Uh, those are the bases I always go through the most. Uh, and sanded off all the pavement, and then used, uh, I think at the time I was, uh, yeah, it, it was liquid green stuff. Uh, which now I would just use like a plastic putty or or like Green Stuff World's uh, uh, what is that called? They have like a clear thing that dries in UV light. Um, I use that sometimes. Oh, UV resin. Yeah, so UV resin, plastic putty, something to that effect to kind of smooth it out. 
to where it's nice and nice and flat. And uh, then I glued him onto that. And then interestingly, um, I for my Dormammu, um, he comes with a couple of extra smoke bits or fire bits that you're supposed to you know put on his base or whatever. And the problem with that is that they're on the bottom they're flat. And so there's really nowhere to put them on Dormammu's kind of rocky base. This base has kind of a natural texture to it. And so I couldn't really find a spot where I would, wanted to put them that looked right without having to do some type of e either carving up the fire to get it to fit right or, or green stuffing or whatever. And I didn't want to deal with that. And plus, I like the way his books, his, his base looked with him on it anyway. I didn't even think it was really necessary. Um, and, and same with his big base. There's there's not great spots to put it. So I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm not going to bother with that. And, I, and so when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for Blade's base, I realized I had these and that why can't they be smoke? Why can't they be magic-y smoke stuff? And so I decided to have mine be kind of blood magic or whatever. And uh, so I just glued on. You know, I found a way to glue him and these two Dormammu fire bits on there and then just paint it up like it's kind of a soft, um, kind of blood-colored smoke. Um, and I think... I mean, obviously, that's, you know, I wouldn't recommend going and buying Dormammu just so you can <laughs> make this conversion. I only did it because I had it on hand. Um, but if, if I were to redo this again and didn't have those bits, um, I, I think I would go for something more along the lines of what you did. It's trying to make uh, the areas around the arms look specifically like uh, like it's it's blood. Um, or, or, or something to that effect. But I, I tried to paint mine to where it kind of gets more intense red towards the center so that it looks like there's kind of smoke emanating from, or, or like a, like a magic-y glow, like a blood magic glow coming from the center of the base. Um, yeah. Uh, which, you know, to, to mixed results, I, I think it works. Um, but I would definitely like another go at it to try something more akin to what you did. Well, I think your idea is really clever. I didn't even realize that that, like, credit to the idea is I, I didn't even notice, like, the extra bits on there from, and yeah, those are from the Dormammu, okay? I think that that, that actually is just, like, a really a really clever way to use those. I, I also have them sitting around, and I haven't done anything with them. They're, they're kind of hard bits to use, so so big credit to you on using that. And I, I, I like yours, and, and I one of the things I, you know, want to prod you on to talk about, because someone else was talking about this in the Discord, um, is that you did a good job of getting OSL coming out from like the actual smoke effect itself. So if, if you want to talk a little bit about that, I know you have some reservations on the red, but I think getting like mine has no environmental like lighting from it. Like it, again, it's, it's a little cartoonish. The, the green smoke doesn't reflect off of anything on um, Blade himself, but yours, you can see the influence from, you know, that magic -y smoke that you're talking about. And no, it's a little bit more convincing that he's part of that environment. So if, if you want to talk a little bit about how you achieve that or, or approach that. Sure. Yeah. Th this was around the same time that I uh, had painted Storm. And of course, we've talked a great deal about my experience of trying to do object source lighting with that. And, and with Blade, I, I had actually used an airbrush with Red after he was, I think, Xenothal primed to hit him from below. 
before I did any other painting, thinking that that would kind of aid my process of doing the object source lighting. And, and what I found, of course, is that to make the black look like it had, black on his outfit look like it had any, in, you know, any detail to it, um, I found that I, I, I essentially ended up painting over all of the object source lighting and, and it, the, the, the pre-work I did ended up not at all being useful. Um, and, and so I was kind of redoing it with a brush afterward. And so I, if I could do that part of it again, um, I would definitely, I wouldn't bother with the object source lighting until um, I went to do uh, the actual painting. I would wait until, and most likely, honestly, what I've found with object source lighting, and since he was one of my earlier versions of trying this, it, it you know, doesn't surprise me that it went so kind of sideways when I was doing it. But what I found with object source lighting that I think actually works is just making it part of your highlight process. So it's, you know, as let's say I were going to do his legs rather than do a traditional, you know, shaded below uh, regular volumetric highlighting where you're you know, okay, this part of the leg is like a cylinder, so I'm going to make the top part of it brighter and the bottom part of it darker and kind of do a, you know, a gradation of color or a value through there. Rather than do that, you're trying to shade, uh, or you're trying to highlight in the direction of where you want the light coming from. And that's that's what I kind of ended up doing after the fact, um, but I didn't go high up enough with it. I think looking at it now, that's kind of one of the things I realize is that I should take... The areas that are the brightest red and part of this is because i was also still learning how to do reds like because he i you know he looks red and everything but it's not very vibrant it's not like a bright red it doesn't pop um it doesn't have that like high contrast taking all the white all, all the way to white all the way to black thing which i've generally tried to do with the mcp models and so i think in retrospect what i would do is bring you know continue that highlight process of highlighting and bringing it brighter towards the the area of the smoke where it's supposed to be coming from uh to to make it look more intense and make it look like there's more of a glow coming however one of the things i will say looking at it is i did think i do think that i accidentally accomplished a good soft glow like there, there is because of the working the red into you know he's got ref red reflecting off of his pants and his boots, uh, reflecting off the bottom of his arms, uh, and then a little bit on like his kind of chest area, and then a little bit in the swords, and I think he, because I didn't go that bright with it, it comes across like the light that's emanating from the smoke is is like a softer light like there's still a lot of it but it's not like a super intense light and if you're going for smoke I, it, like a magic smoke i guess that probably makes more sense than it being super intense so maybe maybe i should have done it that way um but that, that i don't know that's kind of how i feel about it looking at it now no yeah i, I mean i i think that it works for for the the subject that you have there i think it's um I think it is the appropriate amount of OSL. Like you're right, it wouldn't be a, a very bright cast light from from that. So, just having the environmental influence there, I think um, 
serves the model well. Yeah, I, I also think that like you run into a weird issue where because the I feel like smoke and flames are are you have kind of a different rule of thumb when highlighting them, especially if you're going with like a magic smoke. Uh, to me, it makes sense to do a more traditional highlighting where it's darker in the center and then brighter up top. Uh, whereas normally when you're doing flames, it's the opposite. It gets brighter the more you get towards the center of where the flame actually is. And so you're almost doing kind of a reverse highlighting when you're doing something like an explosion or a flame. Uh, and so I think with like a magic smoke going with, a, you know, it's dark kind of purplish brown in the, and I think I went with brown on mine. Um, like a dark brown in the in the crevices, and then it gets more red as you go out towards the edges. Um, and I think that kind of helps give it more of a smoke effect than it does kind of fire. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I definitely agree. Yeah, the, the different textures, you kind of, one of the aspects of learning how to paint is like different subject matters. And I think we've talked about this before, require different approaches. So it's a, uh... You know, a good learning lesson on on painting that smoke there. Yeah, interestingly, I feel like my successes with this model were mostly accidental, which is kind of funny. But hey, a success is a success, right? And I learned the yeah, lesson from and, it, so you know. Yeah, and they they still you know they're still valuable as as you um, even if it's an accidental success, as you call it. Like it's still if you take the time to be you know maybe not introspective, but like acknowledge what happened differently this time then you can still get a ton of value out of that even if what happened wasn't fully intentional um i think it could still be you know a learning opportunity and uh, like we always say like having these um having these option like opportunities to mess up or make mistakes or, or however you would describe it have these external successes like leads to you know growth as a as a hobbyist or as a painter um to, to get to where you need to be so trying new things is always uh uh inducive like like helps you get there yeah what, one of the things i'm particularly impressed by yours and of course when i went to do my blade this was long before i uh, had any uh, any practice or experience or desire really to do non-metallic metal but since he has like obviously a metal kind of chest plate and then he's got of course the samurai swords i was like i you know i gotta try to make him look kind of shiny and reflective and i had no idea what i was doing and i think he's one of many examples of me trying to figure out how to do a kind of a non-metallic metal steel and i i definitely not a part of the model i think i succeeded at accidentally or otherwise um but when looking at yours kind of the what I'm seeing on like his knee pads and uh, especially on the chest piece uh, uh, is uh, like some really solid looking like non-metallic metal. Like I, I, the chest piece, especially I'm like, Oh man, that looks, that looks really cool. It makes me want to redo mine. That's, um, that's interesting. You say that, Cause I actually, I actually think the chest piece, cause same for me, like this was early on trying to do non-metallic metal. I, I don't think that the chest piece looks, quite right but that's uh it's interesting to hear you say that at least it sells a little bit i i mean i think it sells a lot because like it's it's got the curvature towards kind of the bottom 
of like where his where the end of his chest like the pec the bottom of the pecs when it starts to turn into the abdomen area like that's where like the light where you have kind of the line of light going showing that most of the light is reflecting there and it uh that to me just immediately reads it immediately reads as like this is kind of like a, a you know a chrome kind of steel polished metal piece um I, I really like how that came out on yours okay well, that's that's good to know yeah it was um it was an early attempt at non-metallic metal for me, so I'm I'm glad to hear it at least sells to your eyes. Because um, I've I've been I wasn't going to talk about it, but I was I was relatively unhappy with that part of this model. I I do like how the knee pads came out um, on him, and uh, you know, generally I I kind of like most of what it, where I got to on him. But that chest piece always stood out to me as being a little bit clumsy. But hey, if it fools you, then then maybe I'm a little bit too harsh on it. <laughs> I it I would argue you are based off what I'm seeing. I think I think especially when you compare it to mine. Like if you look at mine, I, I really didn't know what I was doing, and so I've got um, my lines of light are just kind of all over the place. And then I was trying to capture the red reflection um, from the smoke, but I think I caught it in like the wrong spots. Um, yeah, and maybe it's just my experience. I think the swords on yours look pretty good. I, I appreciate that you didn't do the tiger stripe thing. Like a lot of the times I see people paint NMM swords, it kind of looks like zebra stripes up or down. They do like one area black, one area white, one area black, one area white. It's all very uniform. Whereas I think your sword NMM there is, is relatively convincing. Yeah, the chest piece is you know not the best, but I think it actually looks quite nice on the swords there. Yeah, I, I'm happier with the swords than I am the chest piece for sure. Um, I still think my biggest criticism of my non-metallic metal steel is I, as I do the whole like transitions, trying to trying to get it to go from like really dark to really light, which is kind of crucial if you're trying to sell like a shiny reflective metal. You need to have that contrast in there. Um, it I end up with very sparse areas that are actually bright and a lot of areas that are darker. And I don't like that. I don't think that it comes across as steel. It, 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 and I, I realized this more recently when working on my Sentinels, is that even though I'm doing like a non-metallic metal steel and like all of their little inner, um, you know, pistons and, and bits on the Sentinels, it, it comes across like, okay, yeah, it looks vaguely metallic, but it looks like it's not a very bright metal it doesn't look like it's really reflecting a ton of light and that uh, it's bugged me more and more the more i do it and i feel that problem is definitely present on his swords i feel like they should be kind of shinier than they are um but i'm not positive ho how to go about doing it but i will say um i i feel you on the tiger stripe thing i find too many people do like they transition from dark to light to dark to light to dark to light like seven times across the course of the blade, and it looks, uh, it, it to me it it breaks that verisimil verisimilitude. Like it it takes me out of it, and makes me feel like you you over arded up your sword. It doesn't feel like yeah. a realistic reflection, and so I did try to avoid that. I my goal was to go like, um, on his his right hand, so stage left. That sword, I tried to go from like light on the bot at the very bottom of the sword, and then light at the very tip, and then kind of dark in the middle. Um, and then I tried to do almost the opposite with the other sword, where the light is mostly towards the center of the blade, and it gets a darker um, 
near the edge and near the uh, hilt of the sword. Um, and the problem is, I think I just didn't... I, I transitioned too quickly from the light to the dark. And so you just end up with dark-looking swords. And I just don't think it looks right. So, um, you know, but hey, uh, these lessons I learned from him are the reason why my Sentinels look as good as they do. So I'm not beating myself up too much about it. <laughs> it's all part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about color scheme selection on Blade. I, I think that he's, you know, another one of those models that has relatively um, uh, consistent colors within the canon. So, uh, you know, maybe talk for a few minutes about how you were thinking about it and uh, you know the colors that you chose. Sure. Yeah. So Blade, you know, it's vampires. You've got like goth stuff and blood so like black and red is a very obvious kind of go-to um especially with his outfit has that like black leather look to it and uh i kind of wish that i had known or had some experience doing actual black leather before painting him because i feel like we might be having a different discussion right now about like how to accomplish black leather uh but at the time i was still trying to get down black generally speaking um but mm -hmm. like canon interpretations aside uh, one of the issues i ran into is i knew it right away because the underside of his cape has got or his jacket i guess his his coat has got like that bright red to it um and and then of course i knew i wanted to do kind of red for like the wrappings for the handles of the sword and things like that um and but then of course since i was going for like a, a kind of blood magic or whatever kind of a magic-y smoke um you know my wife who's a big fan of red that's like her favorite color she she's always recommending things be red uh she was saying you should do it red because it's like blood magic it's vampires and i was like i mean it's hard to debate that logic right and so she's probably right and so i went with red on it and for me the model is just way too monochromatic like it, it, I feel like I lost a lot of visual interest. I tried to recapture a little bit of that by having the hands be like a very pale white and then have them get hit by kind of the OSL glow from the, the smoke uh, to, to kind of recapture a little bit of the visual interest. And then, of course, the non-metallic metal uh, shininess on the that we've talked about. But overall, I, I kind of wish I had gone with like a purple or a green or like the the smoke as i feel it would contrast a lot better with the red and just make for better color composition on the bottle i think it would just make it more interesting to look at um however i also think maybe going up more with the glow maybe making in increasing the intensity of the glow might be a way to accomplish the same thing so I, i'm still not entirely sold on whether or not that's a misstep or or whether or not it, it you know it, maybe it's an execution issue and i could go with the same color competition composition and then just kind of change the way i accomplish it and get results that i'm happier with i'm st i'm still not 100 percent on that i i still have kind of mixed feelings about how i should go about that yeah it's 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 interesting to uh to think about it. I mean like I think your notes on color composition are good and and thinking about balancing colors within um within like use of your model or like wherever your 
uh, painting at the time, right? Like like how you're approaching the model. I think that that's something that's really good to to keep in mind. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's one of those things that you just kind of learn as you as you grow as a painter, and um, you know, eventually you get to a point where you see through the matrix and it makes sense to you. But uh, it's uh, tough to get there sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah, and one especially with the subject matter of him, um, it kind of lends itself to. Um, a lot of kind of monochromatic decisions. So I think I, I, I think he's a bit tricky on the painting end for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like even even when you have a character that has like a, a standard outfit or like a, a, a standard look, I think it is still informative that you have options or control over kind of where you want to influence, and, and all of those decisions will change the overall feel of your model. Right. Um. All right. So I think that was. I mean, anything else you want to talk about on these two before we kind of wrap it up here? Well, no. I think I think that's all the insights I got at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably all tapped out as well as far as insights go. But um. Yeah, we can we can start wrapping it up here. So. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I, I should have plugged this at the beginning, but you know, one of the things that we have here is a, is a Discord where you know, we kind of will post links to, to everything we've discussed and um, you know, have information for people. There's, there's a couple of different channels within the Discord. There's, there's two channels for just showing off your minis. One is just you know, work in progress picks, whatever you've been working on, just show off your mini and it's to celebrate that. The other one is a... Um, you know, if you're looking for C and C comments and criticisms on your model, um, you can post those there and, you know, have some prompting questions and then people will try to give you uh, advice related to that. Um, you know, the whole goal of the podcast is to build a community of people looking to improve. So a good place to do that. Uh, we have listener channels and then a hobby resources channel. Um, and before this episode goes live, I will also have a channel in here that just has pictures of the models that we were talking about in this um, in this episode. So join the Discord. It's a, it's a really great um, place to, you know, learn and improve as a painter. The link will be in the show note to that. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, my name is, or my Instagram handle is waxy underscore sandwich. And mine is Moriartist7. And uh, do you want to mention your blog here? Sure, yeah. Uh, Moriartistminis.wordpress.com. Go through the MCP catalog. And it it's more of a flow of thought in my journey, le- less so uh, guides. It's it's kind of more my thought process on everything. But um, I update it fairly regularly. Um, whenever I knock out a model, I usually write a blog for it, maybe a week or so after, once I've had a chance to gather my thoughts. Um, always looking for feedback, so if anybody happens to... Uh, happens to happen upon it um you can hit me up either on the discord or leave a comment on the blog um i I like to get back to people and kind of get their thoughts on things yeah awesome um all right so so with that uh we're going to call it a day and we will talk to you next time yeah keep painting guys